Baptist Church and delighted to welcome you to worship today. God bless you those of you joining us on video. We love you and thank you for uh, honoring us by worshiping together with us. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Let's talk about missions. It is the Christmas season, the Advent season, but that makes it a very good time to talk about missions. The very first Bible verse I learned in my Southern Baptist Church growing up was the verse, God loved us and sent his son. Uh, that was what they taught us to say. God loved us and sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It, it's what we've been taught. In other words, the, the most perfect expression of God's love is the fact that he left heaven and came to us. God loved us and sent his son. Christmas itself is, is a sort of remembrance of God's great mission. God's great mission to come to the world to save us. I said I learned that in a Southern Baptist church. I'm not one of those guys that believes that only Southern Baptists are going to heaven. I'm not one of those guys that thinks that our denomination is the only one who does things right. I know that the other Christian denominations in the family of God are, are, are loving Christ and sending missionaries, and they're doing uh, what God calls them to do, just like we are. But I am proud of the way Southern Baptists do missions, and I can say that in all honesty. Southern Baptists have what is really the world's greatest missionary sending program called the cooperative program and you participate in it every Sunday whether you know it or not. The cooperative program actually was was born in Kentucky in the state of Kentucky uh, out of a, a context a hundred years ago of Baptist churches that wanted very much to fulfill the Great Commission. And so there were all kinds of missionaries and all kinds of ministries and schools and children's homes and hospitals and all sorts of things that we needed to support as Baptist churches. Problem was, it was very, very difficult to support them all unless you knew about them all. So in those days, it seemed like every single Sunday, somebody was knocking at your church door. Somebody from the Baptist hospital wanted to come and talk to your congregation. Somebody from the Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children, a missionary from overseas, a missionary from, from North America, a missionary that's local. Somebody always wanted to come to your church and pass an offering because someone had to send the missionaries. Someone had to support the schools. Someone had to fund the hospitals. It became a burden for the churches, though. It was impossible every single Sunday to take up another offering. It was impossible always to be supporting every missionary individually, every hospital, every school, every program. So in the state of Kentucky, Baptist churches came up with the idea of a cooperative program. The idea was, we'll just support these causes all of the time. We'll do it cooperatively. We'll all pitch in, and this is how we'll do God's work. And it's how we're still doing it in Southern Baptist churches all around the world. The cooperative program is simple. It, it means that a church like ours sets aside part of its money every single week. At Woodburn Baptist Church, we give at least a tenth. Is it 10 or 11, Warren? Eleven, counting all of our cooperative missions giving. We give 11%. That means every time one dollar is put in the plate at Woodburn Baptist Church, every Sunday, every time you do it, 11 cents of that automatically leaves this church and goes to support missions, Baptist missions. I like that. 
means every single Sunday, every time my family gives a dollar, 11 cents goes to missions. That's every Sunday. That's called the cooperative program. I think that's pretty good. Now, what that means is that Southern Baptist missionaries are sort of unique and that they don't have to raise funds all the time. If we send a Southern Baptist missionary out on the field, they don't have to come back three months of the year and raise funds. Understand, most everybody else has to do that. It's a part of missions, raising funds. But Southern Baptists have created what is the world's greatest missionary sending organization. Even so, because it simply happens automatically, we sometimes get a little bit far away from our missionaries. We forget about all that we're supporting. We don't even think from Sunday to Sunday all that we're managing to accomplish by by contributing through the cooperative program. And so sometimes a church like Woodburn, a church like ours, can become a little bit distanced from the very missions and missionaries that we support. I want to bring it back close today. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. When I was a kid uh, in school, Rich Pond School, we would draw names for Christmas in our class, and then at our Christmas party, we would exchange those gifts. Uh, We never spent much, and it was never a real, real big deal. But I tell you, there was one thing I always wanted, and I never got. Don't get it for me now. It's okay. But but I always wanted it growing up and never got it. The the gift that everybody wanted growing up when I was a kid at school was those Lifesaver books. Remember those? Wasn't that the most awesome thing? How many of you ever got a Lifesaver book? Yeah, lucky. Yeah, I, I never did. I got McDonald's gift certificates. That's okay, too. Uh, the little Lifesaver book was just the gift that you always wanted at school when you, when you drew names. You're lucky if you got one. I, I guess the question to ask today is, what do you think God wants? What do you think God really, really wants? I know that he wants your heart and my heart. He wants our lives. I know that. But, but what do you think God really wants? I think if you look to Scripture closer, you'll understand that God wants the world. He loves the world. He wants the world. Isaiah chapter 2. Look at the Scripture with me. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. Underline that verse. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Maybe you've read the the Dr. Seuss book, Horton Hears a Who. You familiar with that book? Horton Hears a Who. Horton is an elephant, a gigantic elephant with enormous ears, which makes him capable of hearing what nobody else can hear. He hears the cries, the, the, the people of a very, very small planet that he discovers. The planet is named Whoville. 
you need to get back and study your Dr. Seuss. The planet is called Whoville, and it is located on a speck of dust. The planet Whoville is located on a speck of dust, and only Horton can hear them, but he can't see them. Nobody can see them, and that's sort of the point of the whole story, that Horton has to learn to care, and Horton has to convince other people to care about people they can't see, the people of Whoville. My favorite line from the book is very, very, very simple. It says, even though you can't see them at all, a person's a person no matter how small. It is difficult to learn to care about people you can't see, and we can be honest about that. Our tendency, of course, is always to care about the people we do see, and to be real honest, sometimes we have trouble with them. It's hard to care for people at all, but to care for the people we don't see, that's very, very difficult. Honestly, most of us just tend to think about the world around us, the people around us, the people that we see. That is the world in which we live, and honestly, that's the world that we care for, and it's a very, very small world, and I understand that. I'm just the same as you. I I tend to care more about the small world I live in. I I think as we mature and, and, and as we grow, we sort of go through three stages. And the first, of course, is when we're children and we really do live in a very, very small world. When you were a child, your house at one time was your whole world, maybe your bedroom. Or maybe just your family, or maybe the little town where you lived, or the church where you go, but just your very, very small world. And honestly, when you're a child, you can't even fathom that there's more to that. And even if you could, you wouldn't care. It's just your little world, and that's how a child thinks. I grew up in Matlock. Y'all know that. Y'all know my redneck story. I grew up in Matlock, which is a suburb of Woodburn. There's nothing out there. Nothing out there. There's more now than there was then. When I was growing up, that was just my world. I played by myself. I-65 passed by right in front of my house, but it never crossed my mind where those people were coming from or where they were going. I lived in a very, very small world. We watched black and white television with rabbit ears with aluminum foil on the end. That was the Don Harris idea of of really high-tech aluminum foil on the rabbit ears. And we could get Channel 5 out of Nashville. We hardly ever got Channel 4, but Channel 5 was there. And Channel 5, so all my favorite shows were Gilligan's Island and Hee Haw, baby. I'm telling you, I I was living high. This was the whole world that I, I lived in. I remember my church was going to Nashville, which was huge, going to Nashville to appear on Channel 5 on a program called Your Church, where people could go down and their church could be on television. Now, this was really, really big to me. I could barely imagine Nashville because we had Channel 5, but I really couldn't imagine the world. I remember driving to Nashville in our big old blue church bus, just looking at all the cars, thinking, my goodness, I've never seen so many cars in my life. And we pulled up to Channel 5. Now, I'm way too small to sing in the choir or be on television. I'm too small for that. But I only went along for one reason. I wanted to meet Gilligan. Okay, do you understand how my brain worked? See, Gilligan is on Channel 5. And I'm not a dumb kid. I know he doesn't really live on an island. I know he's an actor. I figure he lives at Channel 5. That's what I'm thinking. So I'm going to Channel 5 because I want to meet Gilligan in the cast of Hee Haw. Honestly, I was really thinking that I would go there and they would all just be there. My sister said this is what proves that I was a really dumb kid. 
and, and, and I probably was. But I'm telling you, that's the way a lot of children think. The world is very, very small. Very small. And you can't even imagine, can't even imagine a world beyond your own backyard. As we grow... And as we begin to learn about the world, we sort of enter a second stage where the world becomes enormous. And many of us stay at that stage where the world is just simply overwhelmingly large. As we get out and we get into school and we begin to meet other people, we begin to understand that there are other families in the world. And there are other houses and other schools and other churches and other towns and other states and other nations. And they can be very, very different from us in our families, in our churches, in our nation. It can be very, very different. And for some people, the, the, the realization that the world is so large and that there's so many people, so many different kinds of people, it becomes sort of an overwhelming thought. Now, some of us get real excited about it. When I was that kid in Matlock and I finally discovered that there was a world beyond I-65, a world beyond Channel 5, when I suddenly realized that, the first thought in my mind was, hallelujah, I am getting out of Matlock. I want to go. I want to see the world. I want to be somewhere else, anywhere but here. And often that's how we respond. When you recognize that the world is gigantic, then baby, I want to see it. I dream of other places. I want to go other places. And lots of people respond that way. But others of us respond in the opposite way. When we realize that the world is gigantic and that there's a whole world of people out there, all of whom very, very different from us, who worship in different ways and have different colored skin and different languages and different food, honestly, for some of us, that's just a very scary thought. And we just sort of retreat. We just sort of make it up in our minds that we're just going to continue to live in our small world. We're not going to learn about other places, never ever going to go there. We're just going to continue to live as if our little world is all there is. Honestly, if you continue to grow and mature, you go to a third stage. You first think that the world is very, very small. Then you understand that the world is very, very big. And eventually, especially if you think much about the ways of God, you'll come back to the realization that the world is honestly very, very small, especially from God's perspective. I love what the scripture says. Verse 2, in those last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. You understand that? The mountain of the Lord's house. We're talking about the temple, the, the place where the Jerusalem temple was. That mountain, Mount Zion, will be the highest of all, the most important place on the earth. This is one of those passages from Isaiah that's talking about the coming of the Messiah and the whole new dawning age that will come when the Messiah comes. And one of the prophecies is that that Mount Zion, where the temple is, will be the highest, most important place in the whole earth. I've never been to the Holy Land. I know some of you have, but one thing I know is this is not the highest mountain anywhere. It, it is kind of a hill, but it's not the highest and probably, probably not necessarily the most important place on earth in a lot of people's minds. But to the Jews, understand, it already was the most important place on earth. To the Jews, it already was the most important place on earth. 
When Isaiah brings this prophecy, the Jews really are the kind of people who tended to think very, very small about the world. And they knew vaguely that there were other people out there, but they didn't always care much for the Gentiles, the other people of the world. They really believed that everything revolved around them, that the Jewish people. They believed that they were the focus of God's love, that they were the focus of God's concern, and they already believed that they were the most important people on the earth. They already believed that. So it makes this prophecy so amazing because God says one day that mountain, that temple really will be the most important place on the earth. But what's the sign of that? What's the beauty of that? Look at what it says. It will be raised above the other hills and people from, say the words with me, people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. People from all over the world. That's the amazing part of the prophecy. That's the shocking part to the Jewish people because they haven't really ever given much thought at this point to all the people of the world. Now, you've got to understand, if you read Scripture, that it's very clear that God's concern was always for all of the people of the world. We do talk about the people of Israel being God's chosen people, but understand what that means. They're chosen for a special purpose in God's plan of salvation. They have a very special role and a special function in the plan of salvation. But God doesn't love the Jews more than he loves everybody else. His ultimate plan was not just for the Jewish people. God's ultimate plan from the very beginning was to create for himself a glorious people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God loves the world. He has always loved the whole world of people. You and I sometimes have a hard time loving people we can't see, but you've got to understand, God sees all of us. God sees all of the people of the world. You and I have a hard time sometimes loving people past our own backyard, but you've got to understand, this whole world is God's backyard. It's a very, very small world after all when you learn to see it through God's eye. His concern from the very beginning has been for the whole world and his desire has been to save the whole world of people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Jesus' technically last words spoken on earth were what? Think about it, think about it. His very last words spoken on earth, last five or six words, what were they? Last words he spoke, not really the Great Commission. It would be after the resurrection, of course, and right before he left. Look at Acts chapter 1. The last words he says were, to the ends of the earth. Last words Jesus spoke to his disciples on earth, to the ends of the earth. You've got to understand that God's great plan concerns the very ends of the earth. It's what God was doing from the beginning when he called Abraham and said, I will make of you a father of a great nation. I will make of you a father of many nations. Your children will, will, number the, will rival the number of the stars in the sky. God's concern from the beginning has always been for all the people of the world. It's all God's backyard, understand that. So it's nothing for God to bring people together. Nothing for God to do amazing and miraculous things across the globe because it's all small to him. It's all backyard to him. It's what God was doing from the beginning and God's still doing it. 
I want to share with you now a, a very beautiful missionary story, and video is the best way, best way to share it with you. The quality of the picture isn't so important. Listen carefully to the story. This is the story of, a, of an African man by the name of Jasper Toe, T-O-E, like the things on the end of your foot. Jasper Toe. Jasper Toe was a man in the bush in Africa who had never heard the name of Jesus, never heard the gospel, never ever knew God. But God speaks to him in an amazing way. Pay close attention to what God says to Jasper, how Jasper obeys the God he doesn't even know, and how he comes into contact with a missionary couple by the name of the Perkinses. This is a story from Christmas 1908. Uh, Listen closely. Pay attention. In 1908, John Perkins and his wife were on board a steamship rounding the coast of Liberia. They were missionaries, and they knew that God had called them to go to Africa, though they didn't know exactly where. As the ship made its way around a place called Garraway Beach, they were in prayer on the ship and felt the Holy Spirit say, get off the ship here. This is where I want you to go. The couple approached the captain and told him that they wanted to go ashore. The captain said, I can't let you get off the boat here. This is cannibal country. People go in there and never appear again. It would be suicidal for me to let you off the boat here. The Perkins insisted. God wants us to get off the boat. So the captain brought the vessel to a stop, swung them over the side of the ship and into a small canoe, and they, along with all of their possessions, rowed towards the shore in the small boat. Totally unknown to them, there was a man living in the region named Jasper Toe, who was searching for God. In fact, one night, several weeks before, he looked up to the heavens and said, If there is a God in heaven... Or if there's any way that I can find you, God, help me do so. He had practiced his tribal rituals, but there was still a longing in his heart to know God more. As Jasper stood under the stars asking God to help him find him, a voice or an impression or an angel, he wasn't sure what it was, spoke to him and said, Go to Garraway Beach. You will see a box in the water with smoke coming out of it. And from that box in the water will come some people in a smaller box. These people in the small box will tell you how to find me. Jasper Toe traveled seven days on foot to Garraway Beach. He arrived on Christmas Day, 1908. As he stood on the shore, Jasper Toe saw a black box floating on the water with smoke coming out of it. It was the steamship. He then saw a smaller box with a couple of people in it, the canoe headed towards the shore. He went down to welcome them and motioned for them to come. They could not speak each other's languages, but they traveled through the interior of Liberia with Jasper Toe back to his village. They learned the language and Jasper Toe became their first convert. They started the first church in his village and years later, Jasper Toe became the first superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Liberia. Jasper Toe died many years ago, but those who knew him described him as the godliest man they ever knew. Because of their desire to hear and obey the word of God, both the Perkins and Jasper Toe changed the course of a nation and were part of one of the greatest Christmas miracles in history. So incredible, so incredible. 
Perkinses were an ordinary couple from the United States just like you. They had already obeyed the call to go. Do you understand that? Already obeyed the call to go in a day in which you would pack all of your belongings in a coffin and go because there was never any coming back. No coming back. They didn't even know where God wanted them to go. Did you get that part of the story? On a steamship rounding the coast of Liberia, they didn't even know exactly where God would send them, and yet they were already going. But God says, get off the boat right here, right here. They don't know where they are. They have no idea what waits for them. They just knew God said, get off now. And do you understand? They went to the captain and said, put us off the boat. Put us off the boat. Do you understand? The boat's not waiting for them. There's no coming back. They got off the boat in a canoe with all of their belongings and went off into what the captain said was cannibal country. They got off the boat with all of their belongings, got in a canoe, and abandoned everything for the sake of God's voice. They met the man named Jasper too, a a Liberian man from the bush who simply followed a voice, a message from God that told him to go to the water. And it was a seven days journey, seven days walking for that man who had no idea where he was going, no idea what would wait for him, only following that voice that he didn't even recognize or know as God. Do you understand that? The voice said, you'll see a box with smoke in the water. He'd never seen a steamship. You'll see another little box with people. He'd never seen a boat, never seen a canoe. But notice how God works. Notice how God works to bring these people together. The Perkinses from the United States and Jasper Toe, somewhere in the bush of Liberia. And somehow God, in his infinite vision and his infinite wisdom and his infinite power, he just brings those people together. He could do it any way he chooses, but he chooses to do it this way. He chooses to speak to the hearts of his people. He chooses to send them, to send us. And this is how the gospel is carried around the world. But you've got to learn to care about people you can't see. You've got to learn how to let your heart break for the world the way God's heart breaks for the world. And you've got to learn to listen for his voice. Honestly, in the church, in this church, there are only two kinds of Christians. Only two kinds. Some of us are going to be goers, active goers. We're going to go and we're going to be missionaries. We may be like Kelly and Trisha and go somewhere far away. They're in Central America, in Honduras. God bless them. God bless their courage. God bless their willingness to leave their lives and just go. I love them for what they're doing. I would love to do what they're doing. But God has called them actively to go. And God's going to call more of us. I know this. God is going to call more of us, and he's calling some of you right now. You just can't connect the dots yet. You don't know how to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. I'm just saying to you, if God's calling you to go, you've just got to be willing to go. Because one type of Christian out of two types are the ones who are going to go. Actively get up and go. The other type, we're going to passionately send. But there are only two types. Either you're an active goer or a passionate sender. But missions is the very heartbeat of God. From the very beginning, God loved the world and sent his son. He left where he was in the glory of heaven and came to where we are because we needed to know about his love. And now he gives us the very same mission and the very same scope to the very ends of the earth. We have to go and we have to send one another. 
It's a beautiful commission. It's a beautiful way of life. It's a beautiful gospel. And it is an awesome world that we are charged to reach with the word of God. Woodburn Baptist Church, there are no other options for us. Either we're going to go or we're going to send. But there's really no option just to not be very concerned. There's really no option of really sitting on on the back side or simply being a bystander to the Great Commission. That option is not offered to you. Either you're going to go or you're going to send. Today at Woodburn, I want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment to do one or the other. Some of you this morning, if you know that you know that you know that God's calling you into his mission, calling you to go, why don't you make that decision public this morning? Why don't you hear before God's people make that commitment to go? You don't have to know all the details or how it's going to happen. You just hear God's voice and need to bear witness to what God's telling you. I'm inviting you today to make that public. Let this church begin to get around you and figure out how to send you. Because this church is passionate about sending. It's time to receive the offering. It always comes down to money, doesn't it? Of course it does. Because somebody's got to pay the airplane tickets. Somebody's got to buy the Bibles. Somebody's got to pay to put people there to pay for houses and to pay for medicine. Somebody's got to do that. Where do you think the money comes from? It comes from God's people. And the money's already in our pockets. It's not as if God has to work some miracle to pay for the Great Commission. He's already given everything necessary for us to do God's will for this church. And he's already provided all of the money necessary. It just happens to be in our pockets. And we happen to like to spend it on ourselves. But this is part of what we have to get past. We're great commission people. We're missionaries and missionary senders. And whatever God gives to us, he gives us for the purpose of his plan, his great plan of salvation, his great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Very first Bible verse I ever learned, God loved us and sent his son. Because God loves us and because we have experienced his love, we need to go to the ends of the earth to share with the world the news of Christ. Because of God's love and because so many of us need to go, we need to send them. We need to do everything we can to make sure that we are sending people, sending them here locally, sending them throughout the state of Kentucky, throughout North America, throughout the world to the ends of the earth. When I was a kid, I really, really wanted one of those uh, idiotic little lifesaver books, rolls of lifesaver in a little folding cardboard box. I thought that would be the best gift ever. I'm wondering what God would want today if we were to give him a gift. I'm thinking he wants the world. I'm thinking he wants the world. And I'm thinking that you and I have a very important part to play in winning the world for Christ. Either you and I are going to go or we're going to send others. But we are going to go or we're going to send others. There's nothing more important for us as a church. This is the Great Commission. And the last words Jesus spoke on earth were to the ends of the earth. Pray with me.
God, there may have been other years when we felt like we had more extra money to give on occasions like this. God, God the economy shifted. Everything has shifted. The world's different. Many of us, Lord, our income has changed. Our, our jobs have changed, Lord. But remind us today that the Great Commission has not changed. Remind us today, Lord, that there are missionaries on the field today, right now, who already need our support. Lord, remind us, Lord, that as missions offerings begin to drop and as people begin to cut back on missions, Lord, that means there are people who don't get sent. There are Bibles that don't get bought. There are sick people who don't get medicine, Lord. There are children who never make it to the orphanage, Lord. Teach us. That while the world changes and the economy changes, the priorities of God's people cannot change. Lord, teach us that your desire is still for the ends of the earth. God, give us eyes at Woodburn Baptist Church to see far, Lord, past our own backyard. Help us, Lord, to see the world as you see the world, broken and in need. And then, God, help us. Those of us you call, help us to go and to go bravely and to go boldly and never to look back, Lord, but just to go because life is too short, Lord, to live it, to live it in our tiny little world. There's a big world that calls us, Lord, and a great big God who calls us. May we follow your call, Lord, wherever you send us. Pray for young people in this church, Lord, who feel that perhaps you're calling them, Lord, that perhaps you have your hand upon their life. God, put your hand upon their life and use them, Lord, to do something important in the world to the ends of the earth. God, there are old people in this congregation who once had a dream of missions, Lord, who once dreamed of doing something and going somewhere and saying your name in a language different from their own, God. But, but they walked away from the dream and they never followed it. And now, Lord, they wonder if it's too late. Oh, God, I pray that you would help old folks in this church to dream new dreams and see new visions and to walk through the door and go, to go, as long as they have breath and strength in their bones, Lord, to go, just to go. Oh, God, life is too short and the world is too small for anything other than the best we can give for the gospel. Oh, Lord Jesus, we call this our gift to you for the world. It will be a small gift because the world is so big. But God, we pray that you will enable us to give as much as we can give and that you will use our gifts, Lord, to do something important in the world. God, today we promise to go. Today we promise to send. Lord, we ask you to give us a heart to love people that we can't even see. Bless them today, Lord, and bless us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.